Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just one decade into their journey, Cosworth had dominated IndyCar racing and changed the face of Formula One. But while any other company would be satisfied with that kind of record, Mike and Keith were far from done. Even though Cosworth already had a stack of incredible achievements under its belt, what the company had been able to achieve post-1970 is just as, if not, more revolutionary. The Ford Sierra RS Cosworth. Noise. The Ford Escort RS Cosworth. Noise. The Mercedes 190E. Oh. The Audi RS4. Oh. Nissan GTR L and Nismo. Oh. The Aston Martin Valkyrie. Oh. All. <laughs> all powered by engines built, modified, or designed by Cosworth. And all game-changing cars spanning over four decades. Nice. But how would the lessons Cosworth learned in their early years affect their philosophy moving forward? How would their incredible achievements on the asphalt translate to the dirt? And how could a company use principles from the 50s to revolutionize the industry well into the 21st century? Well, we're going to find out because today it's part two of Cosworth. I see all these people blaming each other, but you need to look in the mirror because it's your ass fault. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Pass Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts sitting at the table right here with me in the flesh. I'm looking at the skin of James Pumphrey. Looking at the skin of James Pumphrey. Give me back my son. (laughs) Give me back my son. Guys, do you interpret that as give me back my son, S-O-N, or give me back my son, S-U-N? Well, it's been so gloomy here in L.A., I want it to be. Give me back my son. son. You're still my sunshine. In 2024, it's going to be S-U-N. Give me back my son as in, like, let's be happy. Yeah, Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's cool. Give me back my son. And (laughs) also here, that other voice you hear, Joe... Coffee drinking Weber. Daddy Webstar. Uh, I can't start my day without a cup of Joe. Nice, dude. <laughs> Solid. And go ahead and goose it. How we do? <laughs> dude, you're taking to this like, like a it. fish. It's in pretty good. Water. I like it. You go ahead it. and goose go it. Go ahead and goose it, dude. I love it. Go That's ahead. mine. That's 
mine. Goose yeah. it. That's my shit. That's my Nobody take really, that from me. 2024, you're putting your foot down with your IP. And that's mine, it. dude. Putting my foot down with my IP. Today, part two, our conclusion of our story of Codsworth. Last time, we learned about how... Mike Costin, Keith Duckworth. Duckworth. They met at Lotus, uh, were then contracted at Lotus to build engines for the company. Yeah. Ended up building some sweet, sweet stuff like the FVA. FVA and the DFV. And then the DFX. And the DFX, my favorite engine yeah. of all time. We learned a lot about the old-timey black and white racing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is what I like to we call it. We saw that. a car that looked like a bug. We did. And then this episode, we're finally going to figure out how much the car is worth. How much is the car? <laughs> how much is it really worth? Joe, I you know, you read some books in preparation for this episode. This book, Cosworth yeah. the Search for, for Power. It's basically only quotes from the guys. Okay. Which is cool because I wanted to get a better understanding of the guys themselves. A lot of times we read stories and you don't get, you know, like a perfect picture of who the person is. Mm-hmm. Paint a perfect picture. They Turns really out. love each other. They are they love each good other. friends. They, they were good love friends. Love each other. Uh and they like really appreciated the other's contribution to the company mm-hmm. and what, sure. how it, you know, like fit with their own I love that. stuff. Um, I'd love to hear more of your insights from this book throughout this episode. I, okay. love, I love that stuff from coming from you, Joe. Just yeah, hit me up, baby. So don't be shy. <laughs> don't be shy. Don't be shy. Chime in. Chime, chime in. in. Go chime ahead and in. goose it with those quotes. Go ahead hey. and goose it. Uh, chime in. Our sponsor, Chime oh. Credit Card Visa Builder. All right. Look at that. Chime is in. That's in. For more catchphrases, you can find me on Cameo. Yes. I'll say all my catchphrases Did you get for any you. hits? I did. Nice. For Christmas? Yep. Yes. What about for Thanksgiving? I, I didn't have it up. Oh. Didn't have it up. Didn't have it up. Well, let's get it up. Let's get it up. Let's and, get each other up. And giddy up into this... Script here. All right. It's the end of the 1960s. Just a few years prior, Cosworth needed the help of Colin Chapman to convince Ford to give them enough money to design and develop the DFV V8 engine. But with the success of the Messiah engine, the tables had finally turned. And now Ford was knocking on Cosworth's door, hoping that Mike and Keith would be able to perform another miracle. Because at this point, Ford had already won Indy 500. They'd won Le Mans, and they'd absolutely been a part of revolutionizing Formula One. Now, they wanted to hit the dirt. I'm talking rally racing. Hey, it's Ford at the door. (laughs) Open up. I got a lot of dirt. (laughs) Ford tasked Cosworth with developing a dual overhead cam, 16-valve, four-cylinder engine for the Escort, the car that grabbed the mantle from the Anglia in 1967. It's their, it's Ford's small car. Yeah. Uh, this was going to be a major part of Ford's new initiative to bring a taste of race car performance to the consumer. And to achieve this, they created a whole new division headquartered in Essex called AVO, or Advanced Vehicle Operations. I love AVO. AVO. Toast. <laughs> They'd be given Ford's the full treatment. I'm talking body reinforcements. Nice. Suspension upgrades. Ugh. Bespoke parts, you know, the works. Yeah, like a pizza. Uh, Once again, Ford was getting serious about performance both on and off the track. At launch, the Escort was fitted with a long list of depressingly slow engines, some making as little as 48 horsepower. Even the GT version had to make do with an anemic 63 horses. But on top of the line sat the venerable Lotus twin cam engine that had been originally developed for the Elan. It had been racking up wins since 1962, but it was reaching its theoretical power limit. And since Ford had a special Escort in the works, they wanted something a little more stout. More than that, though, they wanted something homologated. Now, Cosworth was getting pretty busy by this point. Rather than giving the task to Keith Duckworth to produce this new engine, since he was still working on DFV, they turned to Mike Hall. The idea was to base the engine on the old Ford Kent block so it could qualify for homologation, but this time use a belt-driven system for the camshafts. Using a toothed belt developed for the Fiat 124, the BDA, or Belt Drive A-Type, was the first British engine to do so when it landed. 
It's an iconic engine with an unmistakable look, sporting an exposed belt running the camshaft gears right at the front of the engine, and a bespoke aluminum head that could breathe and spin, baby. What? What does that mean? Spins the engines. Ah, uh, just the engine spin. The it engine. breathes good, so she could spin. Oh. <gasps> like, like the Navi. <laughs> Well, what about him? in Avatar: <laughs> Waves of the Water? Yeah, they got a brief from here. <laughs> yep. Like, Hold their breath for a long time. <laughs> for a long time. The movie really had a it's profound so effect. Good. On you. Yeah, dude. Water <laughs> is part of us. It is. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and that's where part of our birth. Yeah. Part of our death. Yeah. yeah. And it connects everything. Light to dark, <laughs> life to death. Yeah, yeah. man. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of like Shit. this story, really. It really is. <laughs> Who? So, this engine, it was mollegated at Jake Scully. <laughs> Jake Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was homologated at 1,601 cubic centimeters so that the RS-1600 could qualify for overall victories rather than just class wins. Oh, I see. I get it. Okay. Because cool. if it was like 1599, it would just be in the 1600 class. Mm. Yeah. But it's two cubic centimeters bigger. Two. Uh, so that's cool. That's also one of my favorite cars, the RS-1600. Yeah, it's a good one. It looks cool. It looks so cool. It runs around on the ground. <laughs> this engine was designed specifically for Group 2 and Group 4, tackling both rally and touring car racing, meaning the engine could be enlarged to over two liters. Like a big old thing of Fago. Paul Walker drove one in Fast and Furious Oh, yeah. Six. The result was a hit. The Escort RS-1600... RS designating Rally Sport yeah, baby. debuted in 1970 and would go on to achieve legendary status. <laughs> Not a rally fan? Well, you'd still recognize the RS 1600. It was the blue and white beauty you saw driven by Paul Walker in Fast yeah. and Furious 6. Told ya. And before it was saving Brian O'Connor's behind on the big screen, it dominated the rally world for a good decade. Let's talk about it. In road configuration at 1500 99 cubic centimeters, the BDA engine in the RS-1600 delivered 115 horsepower with a stiff body and responsive handling. But when it came to racing, successive versions would be pumped up and bored out to deliver 205 horsepower with a 1.8 liter engine or 240 horses with a 2 liter block as they continued to add upgrades like fuel injection in subsequent escort generations like the RS-1800. I bet it weighed like 600 pounds, too. Yeah, it probably weighed like 200 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Its various incarnations brought home titles for Ford all over the world throughout the 70s, and with eight consecutive RAC rally wins between 72 and 79, including a 1-2-3 finish in 73, and both the drivers' and manufacturers' titles in 79. That's That's a lot of numbers I just rattled off right there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, just wait. Oh, boy. I can't wait. Meanwhile, Cosworth was beginning to look beyond Lotus and Ford to see what else they could achieve off the track. They'd started hopping engines up for road vehicles, making them as efficient and powerful as possible with simple engineering principles. And now they were looking to continue this work. Sadly, this is an endeavor that wouldn't bear very ripe fruit at first. It was kind of rotten fruit. It just had like green spots on it. Yeah, it looked like shit. Uh, Believe it or not, Cosworth teamed up with Chevrolet in the midst of the energy crisis of the 70s to produce a Chevrolet Cosworth Vega in 75 and 76. John DeLorean. And the results, that's right. The results were mixed. You can still find these things for sale, like mm-hmm. online. They go up there. They don't go they, for very much. No, they look cheap. sick. They don't make a ton of power. I think it's like 115 horsepower, something like that. But I feel like with any car of that era, I would want to replace it with a more modern engine yeah. anyway. And well, it's got a Cosworth motor, though. It does, but they're not very good. It's cool, though. That's why it you're buying. Cool. Otherwise, you just have a Vega. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're yeah. right, Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> But they're, they're like black and gold. Yeah. They're like super sick. Yeah, they're cool. They're neat. Initially, Cosworth had begun building racing engines based on the aluminum Vega block to some success. They got 240 horsepower of the 2-liter engine. Nice. It was enough to bring Chevron and Lola cars to victory. But 240 is not what the public would see. 
Thanks to restrictions designed to meet the 50 states emission certification, the Codsworth Vega was slated to produce just 140 horsepower in production form. That's 100 less. Yeah. But in reality, it arrived with 110 from its hand-built engine. Yeah, that see, is pretty bad. Not great. You, James, you are right. Not a good engine. Stinker. Still, in the smog-choked 70s, that wasn't completely terrible. Reviews at the time were actually quite positive, with Car and Driver describing it as, quote... A taut, muscled GT coupe to devastate the smugness of BMW's 2002 TIs and five-speed Alpha GTVs. They also the called it... <laughs> the 2002 is so smug. I <laughs> <laughs> also called it a feisty aggressor willing, if not altogether able, to take on the world's best GT cars. I don't believe that. <laughs> no, no. They were getting paid. That's yeah. what they said about the Vega? I guess so. The smugness of BMW's yeah. 2002s. <laughs> Smug little cute car. It wasn't performance that killed the Codsworth Vega, though. It was the price. With a $6,000 price tag, it was nearly double that of the base Vega. What? And just $900 short of a Corvette. Oh, my God. Get a Corvette. Get a Corvette. That's crazy, dude. Chevrolet had commissioned Cosworth to build 5,000 Vega engines, and they thought they'd sell out. But in the end, only 3,508 were sold, and of the remaining 1,492 engines, uh, GM disassembled around 500 of them, and painfully, they fully scrapped the remaining 1,000. That's they a probably just dumped them in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, they're at the bottom of Lake Michigan. Look, I know we're in Detroit, but we got to make a trip <laughs> out to California. Uh, I meant the ocean as in the Lake Michigan. Oh, Lake yeah. Erie. That'd be so funny. Bloop, 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 <laughs> we got a thousand bloop. more. <laughs> bloop, bloop. Uh, thankfully, though, this would not be Cosworth's last foray into souping up production vehicles. The Vega was a disappointment, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but Costin and Ducksworth weren't going to get a little single setback slow them down. Their success with the BD-powered escorts, <laughs> I'm more used to VD-powered escorts, <laughs> 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 was garnering enough attention that Mercedes-Benz herself decided they wanted their own Cosworth-powered homologation special in their return to racing, and the new 190E seemed like the perfect candidate. We should do a podcast on the 190E mm-hmm. and the Cosworth. Um, we should do a two-parter. Check this uh, one out. One on the 190-parter. E. Let's do a 190-parter. <laughs> oh, wow. No, but we should do one on Mercedes and Group A okay. in yeah. the leading up to the battle, Okay, and then another one on BMW leading Ooh. up to the battle, oh. and then a final one on BMW versus Mercedes in Group A in the yeah. 80s. Let us know in the comments if you want us to do that three-part. Yeah. Chat, right? let us know in the chat if you want us to do that. Let us know in the chat. Send us a, a letter in the mail. <laughs> and now time to pay the bills. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Mercedes wanted their own thing. Cosworth again turned to Mike Hall, who designed a custom dual overhead cam 16 valve head that allowed the 2.3 liter engine to produce 185 horsepower at 5,500 RPM and rev past 7,000. Nice. In road trim, gentlemen. What? Unfortunately, by the time that the work was done, it was all for naught. Just like the RS1700T, the Audi Quattro had already arrived, and rear-wheel drive just wouldn't cut the mustard in rally anymore. Mercedes basically rage quit the entire rally racing program, but fortunately for us, Mercedes decided to still go ahead with a road-going version uh, which brought the Mercedes 190E Cosworth to life. And as I mentioned, big, really cool story in Group A racing. Uh, yeah. This car is, we probably wouldn't have M3s. Dude, I can't even imagine a Mercedes rally car. Like, that's a brand I can't even see on the dirt yeah, right? in my mind's eye. Yeah. You know? Well, now they have that <clears throat> cool well, Porsche little... had rally cars, too. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I can see that. But Mercedes... They have that, I don't that cool it. little wagon right now. Oh, the A45? Yeah, yeah that's like cool. always brown. It's always <laughs> in brown, right? I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No, <laughs> I'm going to go. It'd be dumb to have just brown. one color car. <laughs> Especially brown. You could have it any color you like, <laughs> as, as long as it's brown. brown. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Meanwhile, Cosworth's old friends in Dearborn, Michigan had some new plans for the decade right around the corner, the 80s. Guys, we got a a plan for a new decade. (laughs) (laughs) It's called the 80s. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) It was time to prepare for power suits, leg warmers, cocaine, Huey Lewis, and the news, (laughs) and a little thing called Group B, the most Bonkers batshit ever done in cars. By now, the relationship between Ford and Cosworth was truly legendary. (laughs) And the Mark I and Mark II Cosworth-powered escorts continued to dominate on tracks around the world. The pair realized it was time for a new challenge. In 1982, the FIA designated a new set of regulations for grand touring vehicles, Group B. We've actually done a couple videos on this and some podcast episodes. And long story short is no rules, no regrets, except tons of regrets. Yeah, tons of regrets. Tons of deaths. Tons of people trying to slap race cars and get their arms ripped off. Except there were, uh, yeah, regrets. Uh, With no restriction on boost. Space-grade materials allowed for construction, and some of the loosest homologation rules ever, no one had ever seen anything like Group B. For instance, for Group A, 5,000 production vehicles had to be manufactured for every race year. That's why we have M3s. Mm. That's why we have uh, Mercedes Cosworth Evos. Yep. Group B, you only had to make 200. Hmm. Not even a year, ever. Hmm. Is that where the Ford RS two hundred comes? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, That's such a funny thing to like highlight. Have you seen that car? Like the it's inside tiny. of it? It's got a freaking fire extinguisher. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what the hell? <laughs> it's made out of tissue paper. So it's much cheaper to produce two hundred vehicles than five thousand vehicles. That's just basic mass. Uh, so the money went into making these cars freaking nuts. The Audi Quattro, Lancia Delta S4, the Peugeot 205 T16. The first attempt by Ford and Cosworth to tackle Group B coupled the now front-wheel drive. Oh, that Peugeot is sick. Yeah. The now front-wheel drive Mark III Escort with a turbocharged version of the 1.8-liter BD series engine that produced 300 hersperts. Damn. 
Ford was trying to project an image of forward-thinking technology, including forward-wheel drive. Ah. <laughs> so they were uncomfortable with the fact that the race version of its beloved Escort, which would go on to become the best-selling Ford model line and best-selling automobile nameplate in the United States in 1982, was a rear-wheel drive configuration. Rear-wheel drive was old school, but rear-wheel drive was, at the time, ideal for rally racing. Until... It wasn't. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yep. Just like with the 190E, the Quattro showed up. All of a sudden, four wheels is spinning, and everyone's like, damn, that's a way better idea. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, and as I'm a result- I'm dim. I'm, what are I'm you, dim? dim? <laughs> I'm dimmer than shit, man. I'm dim as shit, dude. Hey, I'm sorry, man. I'm Oh, I'm sorry, dead as shit. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. You know I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you trust me to do it anyway, man? <laughs> <laughs> the Escort RS1700T would never race. Instead, Ford would begin developing a car to take on the Quattro directly. The RS200. Dude, I saw one of these in Portland with yeah. that bright blue. It's so tiny and so awesome. Yeah, just like my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> that was really sweet of you. Yeah, she's cool as hell. The mid engine <laughs> skydives with a snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> she's cool she street loses and pounds mountain news, dude. <laughs> she loves Sobe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had seen aggressive inline before. Yeah. She's the most aggressive inliner I've ever seen, dude. Passive aggressive inline. She's sponsored by only the pink milk version of Sobe. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Gross. The mid-engine RS2000 had a complex four-wheel drive setup that sent power up to the front wheels and then back to the rear wheels. Oh, they still make it. Sorry. <laughs> Sobe's still around. Sobe is still around. They're still making that morning patrol elixir. Well, someone's got to drain the lizard. Morning morning patrol? Morning patrol. Or petrol. Patrol. Patrol. Yeah. Morning patrol. Kick up your engine with a scrumptious strawberry banana flavored blend. That's the pink milk one? Yeah. Ugh. Dude, we got to get sponsored by Sobe. How yeah, awesome would that Sobe, be? Yeah, Sobe, sponsor us, you bitch. <laughs> Dear Sobe, sponsor us, you bitch. <laughs> you can't have... Oh, it's like Sobe. Oh, the B is capitalized. Sobe. So like, so be it? Yeah, like Sobe, yeah. be our sponsor, you <laughs> bitch. Ah, <laughs> 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 shit. <laughs> Uh, the RS2000 was extremely well balanced, just like the wonderful strawberry banana flavor <laughs> of Sobe Morning Patrol Elixir. <laughs> it's called Morning Patrol. <laughs> what? I got here at 9.30, ready to do podcast Morning Patrol. <laughs> yeah, Fago is not returning our calls. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fago got its phone. It ran out of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to go to 7-Eleven yeah. to get a new card. They'll call us back. The RS2000 was extremely well balanced, but still heavier than most of the competition. And low RPM turbo lag kept it from being truly competitive. A third place finish at the 1986 WRC Rally of Sweden was the RS200's best showing in Group B before a tragic accident signaled the end of the fabled class. Dang. Here we are laughing. Here we are laughing. And then uh, a death just <sighs> pops up yeah. like that. In 1986, Group B was huge. I'm sure you guys listening have seen photos of people lining up on the race routes or sometimes spilling over onto the track as cars fly by. It was a recipe for disaster mixed with an appetite for destruction, and things were about to come to a head. In the months leading up to the 1986 Rally de Portugal, things had gotten crazy enough that drivers began speaking out. Lancia driver Marco Allen spoke directly to the fans part of the race, begging them to get the heck off the roads, stay off them. Just put up a freaking tape with the sticks. <laughs> but it didn't help. Finnish driver Ari Vatanen summed things up perfectly. Quote, It was difficult to control the fans at the time. <laughs> but in Portugal, it was impossible. I remember driving the scene trust stages, waving my fish at these crazy people on the road. You drive down this human corridor, 
It was an accident waiting to happen. German driver Walter Roll explained the chillingly blunt approach one had to take to racing at the time. You must think of them as trees. Jeez. Uh. Things went very bad. <laughs> a, f- a German devaluing human life? <laughs> what? <laughs> Walter Roll's last name is probably the coolest, like, looking name. Yeah, yeah. Like, but so hard to pronounce. spell out is, like, the best branding Roar. looking. Roar. Like, his name is, like, the coolest logo. But he's, he talks shit about Michelle Mouton, so I don't really like yeah, this guy. Yeah, and Ricardo's still using him as, like, a spokesperson. Hmm. Like, literally every race car driver sits in a Recaro seat. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's use Walter Roll. <laughs> like, he's the only guy on their website. That is kind of weird. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, things went bad at the very first stage. A spectator ran across the road directly in front of Roll's Audi Quattro. They also won't give me free seats. <laughs> and the car missed him by inches. Then, in the same stage, a cameraman backed into the road and was clipped by Timo Salonen's Peugeot 205, resulting in a few broken bones and a lost camera. I mean, that's pretty lucky. The yeah. camera? <laughs> but when a spectator stepped out in front of Joaquim Santos's Ford RS200 when he was running flat out, things went really bad. Santos wasn't able to recover in time, and the car went off the road and into the crowd. Three people lost their lives, and over 30 were injured. Damn. Then, two months later, at the 1986 Hessen Rally in Germany, Swiss Formula One driver Mark Schurer crashed his RS200 against a tree, killing his co-driver and friend Michael Weider instantly. Mark suffered two broken legs, a broken pelvis, and third-degree burns. The deaths were simply too much, and the FIA decided enough was enough. You lost me at burns. With the end of Group B, it was time for Ford to focus on Group A. But thankfully... Ford focused. They already had a plan for that too. When you said two broken legs, I was like, "Man, that might that would be kind of nice." <laughs> you know, until you can't walk for How walk long? right for the rest Total of your weeks? life. We've got some uh, heavy equipment in the shop. Yeah, yeah. We've I, got a pipe bender. We can yeah. put both your legs. <laughs> yeah. That's like some jigsaw <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I just yeah. want to be like in bed and just taken care of, yeah. and like no one expects anything from me. That'd be nice. You say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be like lazy and not feel bad yeah. about it. Back in 1983, a man named Stuart Turner had been appointed head of Ford Motorsport in Europe. And he realized things weren't exactly as bright as they'd once been. In fact, they were downright dim. They were a little <laughs> dim. Ford needed a new engine. The DFV was still powering cars in Formula One, but turbocharging had largely negated the primary advantage of the V8's power-to-weight ratio. The failed RS1700T project was still stinging, and the RS200 was still a conceptual dream. Turner put in a call to our old friend Walter Hayes, as well as Ken Coors, the then Vice President of Development, and together they took a trip over to Jai Old London <laughs> to visit their friends at Cosworth. They were pleasantly surprised to find that Swiss engineer Mario Illion, who had come to Cosworth in 1979 and had worked on the Turbo DVX, had already begun developing a new twin cam 16-valve inline four based on the Pinto's engine. Uh-huh. This was exactly what Ford was hoping for. Funny enough, by the end of 1983, Ilian pulled a truly Cosworth-worthy move by teaming up with another Cosworth <laughs> engineer, Paul Morgan, to create their own company, Ilmore hmm. Engineering. After they teamed up with Roger Penske, the pair used, some would say, stole what they'd learned with the DVX and used it to create turbocharged engines for IndyCar racing that would go on to dominate the sport for a while. I think if you work at a, a company and you learn stuff, yeah, you can bring it to a new company. Uh, depends on how you phrase it. I yeah. think the way that you just phrased it would get you in trouble. Yeah. With the loss of Ilian, authority over the new Ford engine project went to ex-Westlake, ex-Lotus engineer Paul Fricker. That Little fricker. Yeah. <laughs> I teamed up with John Stinker. <laughs> John Stinker and Paul Fricker, you little. Who began refining the Cosworth formula of making sure the engine could breathe and rev. Ooh. Ford was impressed. There was only one question that needed to be asked. 
Could you turbocharge it? <laughs> Love it. And, of course, they could. Ford requested that the new engine produce 180 horsepower in the road-going spec and 300 horsepower in race trim. If they could achieve that, they'd order 5,000 units. Cosworth said they'd do it, but only if the road version produced over 200 horsepower and if Ford promised to order 15,000 units. Wow. Whoa. Ford accepted, and the Ford Sierra RS Cosworth was born. This Joe, is my shit. Joe. It's so ugly, so cool. Put a little baby seat in that. <laughs> it's the longest coupe. <laughs> Look at how I know. huge the back windows are. It's pretty massive. It almost yeah. is bigger than the front window. Yeah. Those like headlights are really British ugly, criminal. <laughs> a Pe British petty, crim. A petty British criminal. Yeah. There's um, got to be like a Guy Ritchie movie with this oh, in there. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. That's like 100% yeah. who this is for. You've seen this car before, and once you have, you'll never forget it. Giant, Unless you haven't seen one before. And then you won't forget. Or if you haven't forgotten, that's also that's not what I said. Also possible. <laughs> <laughs> the giant whale tail rear spoiler produces one of the most iconic car profiles in automotive history. And here's the thing, Joe. It almost didn't happen. <gasps> what? Yep. A man named Lothar Pinsky was put in charge of the car's bodywork, and he had his work cut out for him. Wait, so you said your name is Luther? No, it's Lothar. L-O-T-H-A-R, <laughs> yeah. Lothar Pinsky. Lothar. Huh. He needed to take the standard bland Sierra and make it look and perform like a race car. His main concern, the three-door hatchback kept trying to fly. Hmm. Even at moderate speeds, the Sierra would generate significant aerodynamic <laughs> <What>? lift. <laughs> that is funny, dude. Something that is less than ideal for a race car. Yeah. But yeah. great for jumping. Yeah, great for jumping. <laughs> yeah. Great for kites. <laughs> Pinsky, with an I, spent time at the wind tunnel and at the Nardo circuit in Italy doing test runs before deciding that without a giant rear wing, the car would simply lift <laughs> off at anything over 185 miles per hour. 185? Oh it's like God. a good plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a pretty, Here's the thing. I made a bad car. <laughs> but a pretty plane. good plane. Pretty good plane, though. <laughs> we'll get right back to it, but first, a few commercials. But nearly everyone who saw this vision of the Sierra hated it. But Pinsky wouldn't budge. So the Sierra RS Cosworth got a whale tail. It also got a large opening between the front headlights to feed fresh air to the intercooler and wheel arch extensions to house 10-inch wide racing wheels Whoa, and tires. Wow. Big old flares. Oh, my God. That's nutty. Pinsky had taken a boring commuter car and turned it into a racing legend. However, early versions of the Sierra RS Cosworth suffered from problems with the Borg Warner T5 transmission. Mm. Well, that's not their fault. The same one used in the Mustang. And while the T5 could handle some power, what it couldn't stomach was the revs that the Cosworth wanted oh. to put it through. The 5 liter in the Mustang didn't rev nearly as high as the Cosworth YBB engine, whose max power didn't even arrive until 6,000 RPM in the road cars. Wow. Borg Warner had to set up a dedicated production line for the upgrades needed to handle the extra RPMs. The first race versions were fitted with a T3 Garrett turbo and produced over 370 horsepower, but this simply wasn't powerful enough to achieve the goals that Turner had in mind. So like a lot of times, like we're talking about road going versions of race cars mm -hmm. and you hear the specs and you're like, Oh, that's pretty low yeah. Yeah. by today's standards. I mean, this is still pretty good. Yeah, for that tiny car. Mm -hmm. And it's a four-cylinder, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. So, of the 5,545 cars manufactured in its first year of development, 1986, the same year things were coming to a head in Group B, 500 of them were sent off to become something special. The Sierra RS500 Cosworth. Upgrades included a thicker walled cylinder block, a Garrett T4 turbo, which is bigger, larger intercooler, 
upgraded fuel delivery system, new induction and oil cooling systems, and believe it or not, another rear spoiler <laughs> situated below the whale tail. That's nutty. You know yeah. what's kind of funny? I know a couple, and their names are Garrett and Holly. Whoa. Whoa. But they're not car people, so they didn't get that joke. What a waste. Yeah. What a f- Freaking sham. What dude. a waste of a name. That's like a Pixar character name. Like for like they're they're a mechanic couple. Yeah. Garrett and Holly. Yeah. And their assistant, Borg. <laughs> Borg and Moana. All this meant the RS five hundred was now capable of at least four hundred and seventy horsepower, and by the end of its run, more than a half a decade later, it was delivering over six hundred and eighty. That's sick. God. I bet it was like a wild 682. Yeah. I mean, it revs so high. And then yeah. you don't get full power till after 6,000 RPM. Is yeah. Low. Yeah. Just like old turbo technology. Yeah. Super, super laggy. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Between 1987 and 1992, it seemed like nothing could stop the RS500 in the touring car world. And while we could go through its long list of wins and accomplishments, I think one simple fact illustrates its importance handily. Nothing could touch it until Godzilla showed up. It took the R32 Skyline to take it down. I didn't realize that they were even like in competition. Contemporaries, yeah. yeah. That's like finding out that freaking Picasso and uh, Brahms <laughs> went to go get coffee together. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the only two people I could think Picasso of. Picasso died fairly in the 70, recently. In the 70s. Right? In yeah. the 70s, that's not that recent, I guess. Uh, the RS500 had been a success, but there are three letters still sticking in Ford's big old crawl. WRC. Ford wanted to win the World Rally Championship. They just needed a car to do it. The Sierras had been successful enough, but the championship always seemed to be just out of reach. Obviously, it wasn't the engine's fault, but the cars were just a little too heavy to bring home the bacon. With the Sierra, <laughs> with the Sierra phasing out, in the early 90s, Ford wanted to shift focus to the smaller Escort, but the Escort was front-wheel drive and had been for several generations to this point. So Ford cut down the Sierra's chassis so they could wrap it in the Mark V Escort clothing. The Ford Escort RS Cosworth got the same whale tail spoiler as well as an adjustable front splitter that carried over to the production version, making it the first production vehicle to use that technology. Ford wasn't just hoping to win on Sunday and sell on Monday. They were selling what they were planning to win with. As for the YBT engine, that got some upgrades as well. A redesigned engine management system was put in charge, and the hybrid turbocharger from the RS200 was pulled out of the old parts bin. This is the fabled Garrett T35 that takes a T04B compressor wheel and combines it with a Garrett T3 turbine to deliver 224 horsepower at 6,250 RPM and 224 foot-pounds of torque at 3,500 RPM and send it, sends it to all four wheels with a 3367 front-rear split. There was some lag involved, but there was also an explosion of power above 3,500 RPM, and for the second generation, Ford decided to make the production vehicle a bit more drivable by swapping the T35 for a T25 as used by the Fiat Uno Turbo. This one combined a T2 turbine and a T03 compressor wheel, trading a 10-horsepower loss at the top end for more composure down low. It's so crazy that a T2 tiny and a Tine 2 teeny and a <laughs> turbine 2T T03 yeah. are in the same. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. At its first WRC-level race, the 1993 Monte Carlo Rally, the little escort held first and second for the majority of the race, with cars piloted by Francois Delacour and Daniel Guadeloupe and Mickey Blazion and Tiziano Siviero. Until, this was all until, <laughs> Didier Ariol overtook them in his Toyota Celica. Oh. Yeah. The Escorts finished second and third, and while the Escort RS Cosworth never won the WRC, its long list of accomplishments at the national and European championship levels is legendary. The Escort RS Cosworth does look better than the Sierra Cosworth. I will say that. Oh, yeah. Dude, this thing looks really, really It's incredible. Good. It's so cool. I saw one of these at uh, at Radwood one time. Rodwood. And I said, that's rad. That's Rod. Where's the wood? I got some wood. <laughs> 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 mm. 
that car gives me wap. <laughs> <laughs> Cosworth continued to design engines for teams like Haas Lola with the GBA V6, a 900 horsepower monster that was Cosworth's most powerful F1 engine to date. Benetton and McLaren, who used a Cosworth V8 to win five Grand Prix with triple world champion Ayrton Senna in 1993. The following year, Cosworth would help its old friends in Dearborn secure the last Ford-powered F1 title when Michael Schumacher won the World Drivers' Championship with his Ford ZTEC R-powered Benetton, his first of a record seven championships. The Red Bull team, which started out as Stewart Grand Prix and then became Jaguar Racing, used Cosworth engines from its start in 1997 until they switched to Ferrari in 2006. And in 2008, Cosworth became the standard F1 engine. Cosworth has an incredible legacy of accuracy when it comes to changing the face of racing. Mm. But it wasn't just on the track where they made waves. They also made skidoos. <laughs> Since 2006, the company has expanded outside of its motorsport comfort zone, developing performance electronics, engineering consultancy, custom component manufacturing, and more. They've even worked with the U.S. Navy to develop a heavy fuel engine for their Blackjack UAV. What's a UAV? An unmanned aerial vehicle. Ooh. <laughs> a drone? Cosworth is getting into carpet bombing. <laughs> and that's completely ignoring the work they did on the B5 Audi RS4, the Gordon Murray Automotive Type 50, and the Nissan GTR Nismo Le Mans V6, where they applied the same principles that led to the legendary DFV building a killer smaller engine and then doubling it to make it even bigger. And they did the same thing when Aston Martin came to them to build a naturally aspirated V12 for their new hypercar, the Valkyrie. It's the perfect example of how a seemingly ancient old-fashioned company can use what they learned in the 60s to remain cutting edge. The V12 they came up with, a 1,000 horsepower, 11,000 RPM screamer, is the most powerful naturally aspirated engine ever. Wow. And the three-cylinder mule engine they use as a proof of concept is perhaps the most efficient and reliable three-cylinder ever produced. I think it's, it makes like 340 horsepower. so mm -hmm. sick. Dude, yeah. they make pilot engines. They're like, let's shoot a pilot. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. When you think of innovation, it's easy to leave history behind. But Cosworth's success and genius hasn't come from just developing new tech, but in refining old tech and utilizing it in new ways. Cosworth has touched so many aspects of the automotive industry, both on and off the track, and it's all because they stuck to the same core beliefs. Simplicity, efficiency, Basically, just good engineering. So that was Cosworth. 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 Cause it was worth it. That was worth <laughs> it. Wow, I learned a lot. A lot of numbers. It is crazy how many different cars they've touched that are just like iconic, yeah, amazing true. cars. That's true. And the Valkyrie is just like I can't insane. wait to see one of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go look at buying a new Valkyrie after this. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Can I go, can I go with you're going to get a Valkyrie, yeah, finally. Sure. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It's a perfect family vehicle. Well, you know what, you, what normally goes wrong with Valkyries, so you can show yeah, me what to yeah, look for. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with them. <laughs> nothing new to me. You're so. one year old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Joe, you want to read this listener mail? Yeah. Like, this should be from... Joe's job now. Okay. I like it. I take that responsibility. You want to? Yeah. Like, this cool? is from Maxwell. Thank you, Maxwell. Hey, gassers, loved your podcast on the Autodroma Hermanos Rodriguez. I went to my first F1 race last year in CDMX. That's, that's Ciudad, Mexico. And got to see it firsthand. I was surprised that there was no mention of the baseball stadium that was constructed in, on, in the track, especially for how big of a baseball guy Joe is. I did not know there was a baseball. I didn't write that one. I'm sorry. Big of a baseball guy. According to the Wikipedia, after the last F1 Mexican Grand Prix in 1992, a baseball stadium called the Foro was like Forum was well, built on the inner part of this curve. 
I believe that the the stadium, the baseball stadium, is where that stadium section is. When they drive through and there's that little oh, switchback, it's a baseball. So that they yeah. they put uh, concrete over it yeah. for the race. I believe so. That makes so much sense. I always yeah. wondered why that part looked so weird. Why it looks like a baseball stadium? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that, but. Pretty cool stuff. Love the pod and Joe. If you ever need a boost for Wink Wink Nation, I'd be happy to help manufacture a beef with my home city of Cleveland. Oh. oh. You don't have to manufacture it. You can just hate it. <laughs> Midwest battles are always good for ratings, and Cleveland is terrible at winning things. Oh, they're on their way up. <laughs> I don't have any beef with Cleveland, by the way. I'd, it's just with Minnesota. Thank you for doing literally all of my research for me on your first season of Hilo. I've had a 350Z for about 10 years, and over the past few years it have been modding it. I've included some crummy pics of my not-quite-high car, which has a lot of HKS parts. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe more of a buzzed car. Uh, I get it. <laughs> anyway, I've had an absolute blast working on my car with my buds. After all, that's what it's all about, right? That is. This is a nice Maxwell. Z. Looks to be in good condition. Silver yeah. with silver wheels. That's that's a high car. I mean, high car literally was silver. It was. Yeah. yeah. What are those wheels? Those look like, I'm going to say those are, I want to say those are Kansai KNP five-spoke wheels. I'm pretty sure. Maxwell, hit us up if that's right. I'm pretty sure and those are Kansai's. thank you for writing in. Because I wanted those on my car, but then I didn't. All right, if you want to send us an email, hit us up at passgas at donimedia.com. We would love to read your mail on the air. My name is Nolan Sykes. You can follow me at Nolan J. Sykes on Instagram. Follow James at James Pumphrey. Follow yeah. Joe at Joe G. Yeah, Weber. Yeah, 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 yeah. Support Joe. He's got support a baby on the way. Support Joe. He's, he yeah. needs money I just for need a thousand more followers to support my baby. Yeah, yeah. give me a thousand followers <laughs> to support uh, my baby. Big thank you to our writer of this two-part series, Michael Perkins, and our producer's as always, Christina Felsky, Gavin Kinzel, who has a baby of his own, by the way. Yeah. He had his Jimmy. first Christmas with his new baby. Aww. Isn't that adorable? And Nick Giamuso behind the camera. We'll see you next time. Hey, why don't you go ahead and goose it? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.